Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, we are through All-Star Weekend in the second half of baseball, and, and we got some baseball to talk about this week from the Phillies to other stuff, right? There's so little to talk about other than baseball. I mean, there's some soccer, which is good, but... Yeah. It, everything else is just like you know the word clickbait. Well, there's it's a, no, no. There's NCAA stuff that isn't clickbait. <laughs> there's real NCAA okay, stuff that right. we will get to. I'll, I'll give you that. All right. Why don't? But, we, but why don't we do this? Okay. Let, why don't, look, we have a great guest. It is baseball season, so let's talk some baseball. All right, we'll do that, and then we'll hit the break. After that, we'll come back and keep it going. Let's bring on former Phillies catcher, host of Foul Territory, and now author of the new book, Tao of the Backup Catcher, Playing Baseball for the Love of of the Game, Eric Kratz. Uh, Eric, after 14 different organizations over 19 years, all the, you know, over 100 transactions, do you ever think you'd be introduced as author? Not an author. So that's the first thing everybody introduces me as, and I'm not an author. I helped tell the story that Tim author. So people are like, wow, you're an author just today on our show that we just finished. We had Ross Stripling on and Ross Stripling's like, wow, that's so cool. I didn't know. Or you wrote a book or anything like that. I go, whoa, whoa. I did not. My name is on the front of the cover, but it does not say authors. It says written by Tim Brown and Eric Kratz. Should have said was there. Well, look, we've we've had Tim, we had Tim on to talk about this book and to talk about uh, his his other penmanship and <laughs> it, the stories that that you tell um, and that is you're saying that he puts into words. It's fascinating to talk about the catcher because from an outside perspective, as somebody who didn't play the position, you sit there and you think about the backup catcher and you hear people. I'll give you an example of the Phillies now. Last year, people didn't want to trade Logan O'Hoppy because he was this young up and coming catcher. But it seems, and, and I got a lot of this through your book, how important it is to have a veteran catcher, somebody like Garrett Stubbs, and how important they are to the locker room and the team. How important is that for, for people that are listening? How important is it to have a veteran as a backup catcher as opposed to, to somebody young coming up from the minor? It is so important. One, one, especially when you're talking about just especially Garrett Stubbs, the guy had been with a World Series team just the year before. And you don't sit there and say, wow, Garrett Stubbs, he's old and he's not he's not old. You know, he doesn't even really have a ton of experience in the in the sense of like six plus years in the big leagues. But he has experiences of where the team wanted to go to. And if you sit there and you go, well, he had nothing. He did nothing to get the team there. Then you clearly have not read the book yet because that's the kind of thing that backup catchers bring. And it's one of those things that it's actually the one position that analytics, while they try to dabble into it, they try to say, well, we want a backup catcher who, who receives the ball really well. Like he has to, well, yeah, obviously like every position you want, nobody's going to be like, well, we want a backup infielder who hits, but we don't really care how he feels. No, like there's, there's prerequisites for positions but if you're a jerk, if you're a team cancer and you're a backup catcher, you're gone. You're gone. They'll find another one. Not that not that there's all great ones, but you can't sit there and go, man, I, I got to be playing more. But you have to think in your mind, I'm the best catcher we got on this team without ever letting anybody know about it. And we had Garrett on earlier this year. And, and after having him on and then reading your book, it's like the light bulb goes off. Like all of a sudden you see, because like, He's the guy, and, and the backup catcher is often the guy 
that nobody thinks about. He's the DJ. And, 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 and yet he seems to be part of the glue that, that kept that team together, that kept it light when it was necessary, that kept the pitchers on task, that was ready if anything happens to one of the most important pieces on the team in JT Real Muto. The, the most important team, person on the team, in my opinion, the most important team is your starting catcher. You name me a team that has a bad starting catcher, and I'll show you a team that does not make the World Series. You cannot have a bad starting catcher and make the World Series. You might make the playoffs. You might. You have to have – that position is so important. And if that position is so important and JT Romuto plays more consistently and more games than any – starting catcher since Salvador Perez has had kind of some down years of not playing as much. JT's out there more than any starting catcher. And yet he's still only out there 135 games. If that position is so important, and I think everybody agrees that it is that important, you need to have a backup catcher that can step in and play on the days that JT can't play. And then you start talking about, I hate using like, you know, different words like clubhouse guy and glue and but they're they're so applicable for the backup catcher because I think too many times it's like it's like when somebody passes away and everyone's like, oh, he was such a great guy. You know, how many times have people ever pass away and they say, man, that guy's a turd. No, <laughs> nobody says that. Just like if a guy is helping a team like Garrett Stubbs, he is a great guy. And I don't want to push that out there too much. But I know Garrett. I know this guy is exactly what you need. But I also know, Garrett, that when I text him after he hits a dinger against a lefty in New York and he puts the boys up by a run, like he wants to be a starting catcher. But he knows I get to go and I get to hang out and I get to cheer the boys on, maybe maybe mix a little music on the DJ, maybe a little, you know, call the guys out when you need it. It is It is such a role, and I think Tim did an incredible job of – hitting on on all the different roles and different stories in the book. It's funny, for as much as I've grown up watching baseball, I always looked at the ca- the backup catcher as the guy that's there when the starter doesn't play. This book comes through how important the 21 hours that you aren't playing baseball in a 24-hour day are for the backup catcher. Uh, and, you know, you talk about how they get va- more valuable with age. It just seems to be because of all the preparation. Can you talk about that from the meetings you attend to how you deal with people emotionally, those 21 hours when you're not on the field. What is that for a backup catcher? That You actually just brought up the title of my next book that I'm going to write, The Emotions of a Starting Pitcher. It's going to be a whole book about starting pitchers and the emotions you have to deal with. No, it, it, it's something that you, and I'm seeing it more now as a, as a retired player, that I was completely focused and locked into my job as a backup catcher or, you know, when I was in Milwaukee as a starting catcher, because there, there's no, the blurred line is only the fact that I'm either playing for those three hours or I'm sitting and watching and wondering from the fifth inning on what inning I'm coming in, pinch hit, you know, defensive replacement, whatever it is. And so the preparation and everything you sit there, you know, guys are like, Oh, this guy, he worked so hard. He's in the, to me, working hard and working on your nutrition, getting enough sleep, being physically ready is like where you 
start your day. That's not like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm so much better or this guy's so much better because he works so hard in the weight room and all like that's where you start your day because as a backup catcher, then you go, okay, if I'm not healthy and they call on me, now the starting catcher is going to have to play through an injury because the backup guy is not ready or I'm in AAA, which, you know, most of my career I spent in AAA getting called up. If I'm not healthy down there, okay, they're going to go to the next guy. They're not just sitting there like – we really need Kratz's like 209 batting average on our team. No, they're just going to go to the next guy. And so all that stuff is like, to me, that's where you start your day. And then you talk about like preparing for the game and your scouting reports. I sat there when I was with the Phillies, 2011 to 13, we had Roy Holiday, Cole Hamels, Cliff Lee, in the bullpen, Papelbon, we had Joe Blanton, we had Vance Worley, we had, you know, all these names of pitchers. And I had to deal with all of them. And you say, well, you don't have to deal with them. Like those guys are so easy. Yes, they're very easy because they're very, very good pitchers. And some days they were good, some days they were not good, but they all were different personalities in the sense that Roy Halliday and I spent and Chase. We would spend there's five computers in the in the um, video room and we would sit there and those guys are mutes. They don't say a word. I chat chat all the time. But when I'm in there, I'm just quiet and we're on the computer doing our scouting reports, all completely different scouting reports, but all for the same goal of like, OK, well, what what do I need to learn from this? What do I need to? So I see. So I see Doc working super hard. OK, getting ready. Then my day is, so I know my scouting report has to be spot on to what he's looking for. He says what he wants, and then I got I to gotta work with that. Then Cliff Lee, the only time we ever did a scouting report with Cliff Lee, he goes, I go, why don't you ever do scouting reports? He goes, you know what? I think, I think you guys do enough. I've seen how much work you do. I trust what you got. And so he trusted himself. But one time, his one scouting report, he goes, I'm never going to throw a fastball away to Giancarlo Stanton. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I don't want to either. I want to throw fastballs in your cutter, Cliff's cutter in, maybe drop, drop a few breaking balls in there. And, and I go, well, why? And he goes, because if I throw a fastball out over the plate and he hits it, I might not live. If I throw one in and he hits it, it's just a Homer. I'm still <laughs> going to be alive. And then, and then you go with a guy like Cole Hamels who you come into the training room and you're like, Hey, you want to do a scatter report? You know, you want to go over these guys? He's like, nah, we're playing the Marlins. He's like, you know, we got them. You know, we, 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 we know what we want to do. And then as you're walking out, he goes, uh, Hey, you know, I want to just make sure that we're, you know, we're not going to throw Zuna anything over the plate. If you know, there's a base open and, uh, well, don't forget about Justin Ruggiano. He doesn't like change. And by the time, by the next 10 minutes, he's gone through their entire lineup, but Hey, you never tell Cole he doesn't want to do a scouting report because it's like kind of this like, ah, I don't. So it's all crazy different personalities. You know, you talk a lot in the book about being a, basically being a therapist for these guys. How, how in the world do you, they are different personalities? I mean, we've all gotten to know at a, in a, a tiny level how different those personalities are from Cliff Lee to Roy Halladay to Vance Worley to to Cole Hamels, to all of those guys are very, very different people. 
how, how do you as a catcher, do you have to manage each one separately or do they respect you enough to say, okay, you're the catcher. I'm going to make sure that I listen to you because you're the one who did the work. I'd love to say they respect me, um, but I think there's some respect there. I, I think I saw it grow the more I played, but I also felt like the more I played, the less respect I wanted. Like, I don't want you to respect me. I want to get this right. And so it was something that if I'm wrong, I want you to shake me off. Like, I, I can't stand when there's like the old catcher who's, as a rookie on the mound, he's like, yeah, you can't shake me off. Like, no, I want you to be comfortable. So that, that like, that psyche, that therapist mode where you're sitting there going, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do whatever it takes for this guy is so true. Like you have to be able to coddle the guys that need to be coddled. You need to be, be able to throttle the guys that need to be throttled and you need to just stay out of the way of the guys that, have got it going on and it's the best. I like, I like the analogy you said, it's like a DJ. Like you sit, you sit there and you're like, man, this is nice music. And then you look at the DJ, you never go, where's the DJ at? Oh yeah. I like his music. No, you hear it first. And that's kind of how a catcher is. They're the best backup catchers. And even sometimes, you know, your average hitting catchers, you never really see them until their batting average goes below 200. Then you're like, wait a minute, is he a good catch? Like the best catchers stay out of the way. Martin Maldonado. Nobody would ever hear of Martin Maldonado if he wasn't hitting 160 in the Astros every week or every game that they only score one run, didn't have to, didn't have to say, okay, well, the reason Mar Maldonado is still in there is because of what he does for the pitching staff. And, you know, and he finally wins a World Series. Now all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, okay, well, I understand what he does, but what he does he's been doing for the last 12 years behind the dish. So I got a, I got a quick question for you. You mentioned the shaking off of, of a catcher. It, first of all, is that frustrating for a catcher at times? And second, how do you deal with that now? We now have a pitch clock. The pitchers don't have the have option pitch to shake off, you know, incessantly. They got a certain amount of time. Is Do the catcher sit there and kind of smile and go, yeah, now they have to do what I said. <laughs> Uh, I, I would, I, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think that's a personal thing. I think some guys, like I said, I don't need him to do like, I don't need, I am so good at being right. I don't need you to tell me that I'm right by just calling, you know, just doing whatever pitch, like you like throw the pitch that you are most confident in. And so for, for the most of the game, I'm going to sit there and give you suggestions and if you shake off, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it afterwards. I'm not going to go out to the mound and be like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> you called this pitch. Anybody that questions pitch calling, unless you're talking to the pitcher and catcher, is, to me, is towing a fine line because a pitcher could call whatever pitch he wants. If he has 100% conviction in it, I am all on board with that. We would talk about it, but you don't have time to talk about it with the pitch with the pitch clock. So you hit your little button and you go fastball and he says, no, I'm going to go to the next one. You know, pitch com is only just fingers. That's all it is. You know, it's just glorified electric fingers. So, you know, along the line of 
catchers as therapists and the mental side of the game. You know, last year we had Nick Castellanos come here and struggle for a lot of the year. This year, Trey Turner. And so the conversation is, do you give him a day off? He didn't want it the other night, played, struggled, got it, got a day off the next night. How do you handle the mental side of the game with the slumping players? How would you handle that as a backup catcher? You handle it the same way you handle a pitcher. Like, for instance, you talk about Trey Turner, like he gave himself a day off by getting kicked out of the game after he had already made the errors. Like, you you have to get to know these guys. And this is one of the things I really take pride in is not forgetting a teammate. Not that I, for, that, that I haven't forgotten them. But when you bring them up, oh, yeah, I remember. I think we played together in uh, this in double A or whatever. You have to learn these guys. And as a backup catcher, while it may not be your role every time, you don't just go to a team and be like, okay, guys, I'll take the guy who's struggling, you know, and I'll I'll take him under my wing. No, I don't have the answers. They're all people. Trey Turner is a person. Trey Turner is a competitor. Trey Turner is a father, a husband, and all those things. If you get to know the person you don't necessarily have to help them through a slump. You don't necessarily have to be a hitting coach for them. Most people just need life coaches. They need that like person that they can talk to, not talk to, or be talked at. It it, it just really all depends. But obviously I can delve into the fact that Trey Turner is not hitting fastballs and not hitting curveballs this year like he did. And somehow he's hitting sliders and cutters way more than he did other years. All that's done in, you know, a couple click, click, clicks of my computer. And I can see that. But how do you help a guy if you're on his team? Maybe you talk to other people they used to play with. Like, what kind of guy was he when he was in L.A.? What kind of guy was he when he was in in Washington? Like I played with um, Jonathan Scope. Jonathan Scope got traded in 2018 to the Brewers. And I think, you know, he's kind of had like a kind of had a middling role with us because we had Travis Shaw and Mike Moustakis that would play second and third. And then we would bring in Scopey for when we faced lefties. And I think he started like one for 15 and his locker was right next to mine and he was bummed like bumped, like he switched his number. (laughs) Like he was, he was going through it. And, you know, for a little bit, I talked about the fact that, look, man, I know about not playing and you're just not not playing that much. It's not that you're not a good player. It's just, you're not playing much. And then, you know, he still kind of struggled a little bit and he was, he was grinding. And so I took a printout. I got our computer or from our computer um, room I hooked it up to the printer and I printed out as many papers of his stats. So basically your stats take about this much space. And I just repeated it through like thousands of times. And I printed it out and I put it up all over his locker, all his career stats, all his seasons, everything. And I was just like, now you can look at who you, who you are. It's not who you were it's who you are. And you'll go ahead. You'll be fine. You know, it's just a, a visual learning tool. Did it help? I don't know if it helped. He laughed. So maybe that's all he needed. You know, but you know, the more I hear from, from your position and we've talked to a lot of catchers, especially catchers in the minor leagues, 
is you all seem to be doing that for everybody else. Who's doing that for you? I mean, because it, it, it's a tough job. It, you talked yourself about going up and down from the miners. You were in a lot of organizations. We talked to, I don't know if you know Nick Rickles. We talked to him about, you know, he, he had a family and, and how long can you do this? You're not making the kind of money that the stars are making and you are moving around and moving your family. How do you, how do you deal with the day to day of of all of that? Everything that is in your life while you're sitting there being part of the glue of the team and doing that for other people. I think you have to be confident in yourself. I think you have to have a support network at home that helps you with that kind of stuff. I think, you know, for me, my faith was a huge part of it that I was able to understand that my worth was not in how I did at the field. But my worth was in how I interacted with people, how I had a connection with people on my team. And I think there is, I hope that's the part that people glean from the book is, yeah, there's some cool baseball stories. There's, you know, I didn't really know this much about the backup catcher, but I hope people can take from it. Everybody can do this. Everybody can be a backup catcher. Not everybody wants to be a backup catcher. Everybody wants to be the starter in their life. But you know what? If you want to be the manager of the store you work for and you're only the assistant manager, be the best freaking assistant manager you can be. Maybe you'll never be the manager. But you know what? You can affect people's lives, whether it's the people you work with, whether it's your boyfriend or girlfriend or your spouse at home or your kids. And I hope that's what people can take from the book is that, yeah, that can be draining, that, but you're not constantly just coming in, taking people's burdens on. You're trying to create, if it's your job as a backup catcher to create a clubhouse culture, you're creating that culture just by the way you live. You don't live by taking on other people's burdens. You live by focusing on the positives and loving each person that's in there not just the starters because i play with some backup catchers not played with them played against them because i'm the backup i couldn't play with another backup that would be really weird nobody would know what to do for 80 80 games of the season but i've played with i've played against guys that their role like they felt like their role as the backup was to like go up to roy halliday and be buddies with them and oh i'm buddies with cole hamels and i'm you know i'm gonna be cole hamels personal catcher no that's the starting catcher. The starting catcher is going to catch the superstars. You're going out there to give us the most we can out of Vance Worley, out of Kyle Kendrick, out of, you know, Aaron Nola when he first gets called up to the big leagues, out of Josh Lynn Bloom when he first gets called up to the big leagues. You know, you start, I can name tons of Phillies names that that's your role. And that role, it could be, it could wear on you, but it's so re so much more rewarding than trying to figure out how to be a really good baseball player. I found it interesting that you sort of started the book at the end of your career with the retirement and reflecting on the lessons from your dad. But at the same time, you were explaining things to your children. Um, you, you had a quote there after playing the game on your own terms, you were able, you, on its terms, you were able to leave on your own terms. What did it mean to be able to, after that crazy journey you had, all the transactions to be able to go out with your family there and to explain to your kids what it all meant. So awesome. I mean, I, I can't like, 
we, we were going to, we were kind of, kind of shift the book in a little bit of a direction where it was going to kind of be the main part of the book would have been the Milwaukee season, but how the, cause we started in 19, um, the, how the whole COVID season ended and how there's still things from that season that I sit here and go like it never, like I, I could have never written this up to, to end like this. My plan was as, this, as my career went on, as I got towards the end, I was thinking, okay, 2020 is the Olympics. Like I'm going to play in the Olympics. I'm going to win the Olympic gold medal and I'm not going to come back to my AAA team. I'm going to take a vacation in Hawaii to the point where I was on the Olympic qualifying team and we were about to be before COVID hit. We were about to buy our tickets from Japan to Hawaii. My whole family was going to be there in the Olympics and we were going to take a two week vacation. Never been to Hawaii. Would like to go. Sounds like a really nice place. And we were going to spend time there during the baseball season, which you never get to take a vacation during the baseball season. And it was going to be a super like, wow, what a, how awesome of a way to end your career. Well, you know what ended up happening? We got kicked out of spring training because of COVID. I drove 17 hours straight from Tampa to my house in Pennsylvania. And I got locked in our house for six weeks during COVID, whatever, you know, the nonsense was that we had. And then I played a season kind of that would, you know, the opening day, I think was actually just yesterday in 2020. So, you know, it was a crazy season. I would have never drawn that up, but I would have never drawn up over a hundred transactions either. So to be able to come to the end of my career and console my sons, my daughter was super excited that I was quitting, not retiring, quitting because she knew I was getting a puppy. Um, but my sons were crying in the backseat of the bus, driving back to the resort. Okay. Listen, the resort that we were staying on in Carlsbad outside of San Diego, that the team bought us a suite for my wife and me and my daughter and my sons got their own room in this resort that had all expenses paid. Like the whole resort was just for us. And at the time the Rays, and like, we got to experience it together. Had I, had I gone to the world series with the Yankees in 2020 and, you know, I'd gone, to, I'd done the Olympics and then caught up in September. If I came back, like, Families can't fly on the team plane with the Yankees. Other teams they do, but not with the Yankees. Like, I wouldn't have had that experience. We would have ended, whether we won or not, it would have still been a sad moment for my kids, not a sad moment for me, not a sad moment for my wife or my daughter. So it's something that was to be able to go out on my own terms when the when my whole career, starting from – my first spring training on when I saw the first kid I ever saw get released, get fired. And I was like, Holy cow, that can happen. In the back of my mind, I'm like, Oh man, I could be released. And I got released a ton. I never, you know, I, I ended up quitting on my own, but it's, it's so such an amazing blessing to be able to go out on my own terms. And, and now you've gone out on your own terms and you've had the opportunity to coach your own kids. And, and so what is it, first, what is that experience like? And, and why is it that catchers seem to be the ones that end up as managers? 
Probably because we still need to get service time in the big leagues because we weren't athletic enough to get. <laughs> no, I mean the, the easy, the easy, the easy answer to that is you see everything, and we've talked about it for this whole episode. You also communicate with so many people. You communicate with pitchers. You communicate with position players. Position players and pitchers sometimes they may never they may never do anything together, and that's okay. It's not a dysfunctional clubhouse everybody's just so locked in on what they need to do and who they're around. You surround yourself with like-minded people and position players don't necessarily have that much in common with pitchers. They have days off. They can go pitch it. They can go golfing position players. Like I got to get to bed. I got to do this because I'm back out there. And then there's Americans and Latinos. So you got to speak Spanish. No, you don't have to, but it helps. I mean, it helps it helps get people into the team and feel like they're all part of the team. If you're able to communicate with those guys. So then you become a manager and you know how to deal with people. Managing is really not X's and O's X's and O's. Like you can't, you can't make mistakes with that kind of stuff. Like that just doesn't, that doesn't have, you're not even going to be close to a manager. It's about how you deal with people, but coaching now. So I coached two years for my, for the middle school. And we won one game in two seasons. And so I got promoted to the high school team. So that's how it works in, in, in pro baseball. If you do bad, you get demoted in high school and middle school coaching, you get promoted. So the one win, and we actually, we, we came within one win of, of the state championship. Um, We had an awesome season this year at doc Academy and that to be able to coach my sons. Now my, my 14 year old son is going to be a ninth grader. So I coached him in middle school last or two years ago. And I coached my sophomore now going to be a junior in on the high school team this year. Um, so to be able to do that is incredible. It, it really is incredible. It's I've given up opportunities to coach in the big leagues. I've gotten multiple offers of coaching in the big leagues that were really easy to turn down, super honored to get offered, but really easy to turn down at this point in my career. I mean, at this point in my life, because my kids are going to be out of school soon. Like my 14 year old son has four more years and then he's going to go, then he's going to go to college. My 10 year old daughter who won the Phillies home run derby two years ago down at citizens bank. And will probably win it again this year down at citizens bank. I get to go and be part of that kind of stuff. I get to go and be a dad and hopefully they remember me being around more than being able to take BP on the field, you know, with whatever team I'm coaching. Although some days they're like, I wish we could still be out on the field taking BP. (laughs) I was like, if you really, really need that guys, I will make a call and we'll see if we can get out there, but I'm pretty sure we can just drive five minutes down the road and we'll take BP there and we're good. You know, Eric, it's so easy to see from the book that this book is so much more than just about a position in a sport and, and, and how you can apply this to your own life. But before I let you go, have you heard of Immaculate Grid yet? Come on. I am. I'm trying to, I'm pining for a t-shirt. The only T-shirt of Immaculate Grid is all me and all nine grids. So that's what I was going to say. So there's probably a lot of people, including me, 
who have used you in that immaculate grid, and we all have to thank you. <laughs> you are welcome. If you're if you're not a rarity score guy, like some people aren't rarity score people. I don't care about the rarity score, but but that's why you use me. The rarity score, you use me, and I'm okay with being used. It's totally fine. Plenty of big league teams used me for whatever it was that they needed. But yes, there was. I was just on today. I think I got a I got a text. Somebody. Somebody used me for the Astros and Phillies, maybe, or Astros and Yankees. Yeah, it's usually I'm usually like a point two or something. It, it's tremendous. <laughs> but you help make it all work for everybody, just like you did as the backup catcher. The book again yeah. is the Tao of the backup catcher, playing baseball for the love of the game. Eric Kratz, this was a blast. Thanks so much. Uh, best of luck with the book, and we hope we get you again sometime. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Jeff, coming back from the break, what fun getting to talk to Eric Kratz. We talked to Tim Brown a few weeks ago on more the author side of it, but this was more like the I lived it type story. Yeah, he's a little too humble about the whole author type thing. Right? He he is so much a contributor to this book in in a way that is writing because it is his stories. I mean, and and the stories are great. I mean, I I didn't expect half of the stuff that we got out of him. I expected this stuff because I read it, what we learn about catchers and what you learn about life through catchers. The the fun stuff, though, is the stories. And he's so self-deprecating about it. But you know, deep down, he knows he played his role very well and he knew his role and he helped make other people's careers just as much as he made a career for himself. And that's pretty cool to talk to somebody who knows that, but doesn't really rub it in your face or throw it down your throat. I also think it's just important to, for sports. I mean, as somebody who coached sports for a while for kids is, is that not everybody can be the star. There can only be like one or two stars. And, and, and so the, the rest, you may think you're a star and you may actually may have the ability, but you're, you're not going to be the star and you're just as important to a team without being the star. Yeah, role players play essential roles, even if they're not the superstar. And the backup catcher, like I, I said to him in the interview, I didn't really ever think about the 21 hours outside the game necessarily for players. Other than they're human, they do their stuff. Well, but now the, 22 hours. 22 hours, it's shorter. But the backup catcher... They probably are the busiest on the team in that time, unless you're the person doing the laundry or stuff like that. Like that's, I mean, can you imagine all the preparation that he has to do when he's not even potentially playing? And he you was think all the, about it. You think the guy doing the laundry has a hard job? He's got a lot of laundry to do at this point. So, but no, I don't think he's got a hard of a job as a backup catcher. <laughs> so, uh, we'll leave the. All right, let's let's talk a little Phillies because because we got the trade deadline now. How many days away? Less than a week. Less than a week away. Uh, moves are starting to be made. Yes, none, none by the Phillies. One that's not going to be made. We'll get to the Phillies in a second. One that's not going to be made is Shohei Otani, who right. had 
a unbelievable day yesterday. Have you ever seen? Some, some people say it might have been the greatest day by a baseball player ever. For those who haven't listened, he threw a one-hit shutout complete game while hitting a home run in the first game of a doubleheader and then followed it up with two home runs in the second game of a doubleheader. And didn't finish the game. No, like he, he had cramps. More. He had cramps. Yeah. He could have done more. So, I mean, I don't even know. He must be out of shape. How, what, what kind of athlete has cramps? How do you even? So what, I'm being sarcastic, by the way. Uh, how do you even value what that player is for the? Do you play him? Pay him as a pitcher? Do you pay him as a hitter? Do you pay him? As, you I mean, have to pay him as both. The question, it, it always every time he pitches, I sit there and go, how much longer can he do this before he suffers some injury? Like, well, he's already had Tommy John once, right? Because right? he had the year mm-hmm. where he didn't really pitch; he only hit. Well, well, that doesn't mean, but that doesn't preclude you. Your your elbow is supposed to be stronger after Tommy John surgery if it's done right. But but that doesn't preclude that it it won't happen again. I mean, just look at Jacob Degrom. Yeah, Jacob Degrom's now on the second one after signing a huge deal with Texas. It, it seems like you have a lot of teams who are based. You know, there are seven teams that have between fifty four and fifty eight wins in the National League. Nobody's really pulling away you started to see the diamondbacks fade a little bit the marlins kind of stumble but the phillies i don't know we talked about it before something just feels off when you watch this team and they're now 55 and 47 they've won seven series this year three or four games when they've lost the opener they didn't do that at all last year the rest of the National League, like I said, the Diamondbacks are 13 and 22 since the Phillies swept them in mid June and lost five straight. The Marlins snapped an eight game losing streak, but they've lost 13 of 19. And although the Reds won five straight, they lost six of eight in their last 14 before that. So I don't know. You got to think that this team is in it. But then you look at the numbers, Schwarber is up to a smoke in 190. Trey Turner, who had a day off after saying he didn't want a day off, hitting 247. Mm-hmm. Castellanos in July for as well. These are two, these are July numbers, by the way. Not all season, just July. When they did so well and and actually gained ground. Castellanos hit 173 in July for the start that he had with a 32.5% strikeout rate. That, uh, what's your point? You, you've now just spent two minutes ticking off a bunch of, of, of mediocre statistics. Because I can't figure out, are these players going to come back to their mean? Or is this team literally going to keep winning? What, do you, what the, do you mean come back to their mean? Like, do you mean the mean higher or the mean lower? They're average in their careers. Castellanos last no. year was a down year for him. He started off better and people said, okay, it was a down year. He's back. Yeah, but what which mean are you referring to? Like for Castellanos? The one that I'm seeing now is the one that I expect. I don't. I never expected. Like I, I didn't want them to sign him. I, I, I don't. I don't know what people are expecting. If you watch him hit, all you need to do. I, I can't tell you how many times I and probably millions of people have sat there and watched Castellanos at bat and go, when there's two strikes on him, oh, the pitcher is going to throw it low and away, and he's going to swing at it. That's that's Castiano. He's chasing so, at a lot more sliders. He was getting a lot more that, fastballs. But that's him now. Yeah, I mean that's what you have to accept from him. He's you're not getting. 
the two big signings from last year, Castellanos and Schwarber, are not panning out the way that we had hoped. You mean a 183 batting average for your leadoff hitter? That well, you said he's up to 190. No, but, no, that was uh, he was hitting 190 in July. Oh, okay. He, that so, brought so, him so up. So he raised his average. Yes, okay, 190 raised his average. Trey the, Turner, I expected more of, but you know, as great as Dombrowski has has apparently done in putting together this team, and it got them to the World Series last year, the big big signings, about a billion dollars of worth of it isn't exactly working out no it's 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 actually despite the bad farm system supposedly the farm system has actually produced people that are more clutch stott and bohm are more clutch than castellanos turner and schwerberate it is regular that the bottom third of the lineup is who starts the rally or puts the runs in after somebody in the middle third that's supposed to be driving somebody in doesn't get it done. And the problem is, I talked to you about this the other day. You know, Rob Thompson seems sold on Schwarber in the leadoff spot. You and I can debate that all day long. He even said the other day, he's not moving Stott up in the lineup because Schwarber's a leadoff guy. He's the guy we've been winning with when he's been leading off. And if you hit Stott second, then you have three lefties in a row. So as long as you have Schwarber in the leadoff spot, you're not going to get a different type lineup with some of these guys who are but, actually playing yeah, but, better. But it's it's illogical logic on his behalf. We're winning with Schwarber. Maybe we'd be winning more with Stott at the top of the lineup. Maybe you'd be winning more if Schwarber wasn't in the lineup and you had Rojas, as smooth fielder as he is, in the outfield covering half of the outfield for you. He Maybe the pitchers so would be more relaxed if they knew that when they pitched that there, you weren't going to have. And by, and by the way, I, I, I am still crazed over the the other day when Schwarber dove for a ball at the line. <laughs> I know. The, Why was he the, even in the game? Oh, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, no, forget the strategy. Of it, okay. okay. For, forget the whole thing of like, they should have taken him out in the inning before, and then they should have taken him out for defense so that this didn't happen. What I'm, what I'm tired of is the 15, 20 minutes after he dove for the ball and didn't get it. And they lost the lead of hearing how hard he tries. This is not little league. Yeah, I I have no question that Schwarber is a complete professional and, a and busts it every time. But you know what? You're only as fast as you are. You're only as skilled as you are. And Schwarber in his prime wasn't a good fielder. At this point in his career, he is a slow moving train wreck. And he is never going to get to those balls. And sometimes when he gets those balls, somehow they bounce out of his glove and he can try all he wants. And I can sit there and go, yay, good effort. But good effort isn't going to win the game. Good effort costs them a lead. And it's happened more times than not. And if you had Rojas in center field at that point and Martian left, that would not have happened. That's a that's a definite statement. Do you see how much ground Martian Rojas cover when they're out there together? They have to like worry not to run into each other. That was why Stott had the drop ball uh, the other night when when the second baseman went out and it was kind of in no man's land. But all these outfielders are used to playing with Schwarber there where they have to compensate for everything. Then you get guys who actually 
have the ability and the speed to field the position, and you have to adjust to playing outfield with them. I, like I said, I didn't understand why Schwerber was in the outfield at that point. Uh, should have been a switch for defensive purposes. I get he wanted to keep his bat in the game, but his bat wasn't really producing either. So, not really sure. I just don't. I just don't know how you can call somebody clutch that you need their bat in the game. I get that he's got twenty. What is it? Twenty six home runs or so now. What I don't get is he's batting one eighty three. On his best month, you just said he's batting 190. Like, that's not clutch. And by the way, in the leadoff position. That's not somebody who won up there in clutch situations. If you filter only the plate appearances where he's batting leadoff, he's hitting 188. Only two leadoff hitters in the last 60 years of baseball have had lower batting averages in a season. Like, that's... But we're winning at, at what a historic clip. That's Am I the, missing something? That's like, the territory that we're in right now. And so you keep getting. I get it. He's a players' manager, and he wants to support them to get them out of it. It shouldn't have been Trey Turner's choice whether to sit the other night. It's not just Trey Turner's offense that's been a problem. Well, His you didn't def- even segue there. You just went straight to another player. Well, but. It, it, what was what's what's your point there? Is your point that Thompson's not managing? I I think it's a complete problem with the team. Like I didn't understand the lineup that was rolled out for Tuesday night's game against the Orioles in any sense at all. Ah, but but here's the problem. Here's the rub. They won two out of three. Of course. So it so absolves right. everything. That's the problem. But like you sit Trey Turner down finally. Clearly he's in his head. I don't think he's a bad baseball player. But, you know, he's got 12 errors and four defensive runs saved below average already this year. So it's not just that he's having a problem at the plate. It seems to be following him with his concentration in the field where he's making more errors than he has historically. All right. So, all right. So now let's get to it. It's trade deadline time. What do you want? Do you want a big hitter? Do you want a big pitcher? Do you want to just fill in around the edges? I'd probably want, I, I would love to have a hitter that could be a leadoff hitter, frankly. I don't know whether they would use him that way, but I would love to have somebody who could play left field and be a leadoff Why? hitter. Why? Because then you could have a leadoff no, hitter. That- no, 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 no. Why do you want something that will not happen? Even if you get that person, Schwarber's leading off. There's you, you it just makes signed, no sense hold to on. me that your you DH just, would be your leadoff hitter. Wait, wait Jason, you just signed for $300 million or so Trey Turner, who was supposed to be your leadoff hitter with speed. How many games this year has Trey Turner been the leadoff? So what's the point of making that's your homework assignment for next week? How many times has the guy you signed for $300 million been your leadoff hitter this year? And it hasn't happened in months. So why do you want to go out and do that when you know, Thompson is not putting anybody in the major leagues at, if he gets Soto who apparently may be available, is he going to put him at leadoff? No, he's not. Who in this? Who By the, the way, if they get Soto, if they get Soto, just wait to watch him in the outfield. Oh yeah, uh, well, I, I, look, people ain't I was seen at the, nothing I was at yet. The Padres Phillies game this year where Soto let the ball bounce out of his glove. Yes, so, like you. So, but but my point is, you, you, if you could have any single player in the major leagues right now that you. You would want leading off. Tell me who it is, and I'm going to answer. You don't even have to give me a real name. I'm going to tell you that he would come here, and he would still have Schwarber leading off, and that person would bat second. So I think no matter what, 
I, I would like get to trout see, next week. I and would he could be healthy. I would he like still wouldn't lead up. I would like to see a left fielder. I do not want to see Schwarber in the outfield. Okay, so now I'm gonna now I'm gonna ask you another. I one. don't know who, by the way. Yeah, but now I'm gonna ask you another what if. They're now saying that Reese Hoskins is at a point where he's jogging, and that he could be back by the end of the season. If that happens, I do want him back, assuming he can get his timing back and that he can get power because his upper body he has been able to keep you know, fit. That would mean Harper goes back to designated hitter. It's a problem because he's not going to play in the outfield. So, so do do you think the Phillies are now factoring in the potential that Hoskins comes back? So you can't make that kind of, I hope not because I don't think you can plan for that. And I, I I think that planning around whether Schwarber is your leadoff hitter is a failed strategy. I understand I'm arguing against like the wind at this point, but I then Who would you like to see question. them get? Let, let me see, ask you the next brother. Is there is there any realistic trade that's going to make the get the Phillies back to the World Series this year? And, and my answer is no. First of all, the Braves now, in don't fairness, need to do a thing. You didn't think they were making the playoffs last year or no, winning I, the first I agree. series? I or- agree, but they caught they caught lightning in a bottle. And and the fact is, is and they were fun to watch. And I I hope it happens again. But the fact is, is you look at this team and more importantly, look at the teams around the league, assuming nobody gets injured. You you have the Braves just running away with it, right? Like they, they've just, there's no rear view mirror for them to look in. You look at the Dodgers and if the Dodgers pull off what, what, what I heard today or yesterday, which is that they're going hard for Nolan Arenado and Nolan Arenado has agreed apparently that the he would waive his no trade place for one team, which is the Dodgers. If they got Arenado at third, can you imagine? Because that moves, I think, Muncie to second and Mookie Becks back out to outfield. That team gets so much better, and they're already that good. So who would you do well, if you're the Phillies? Like, what do you think? I, I don't think a pitcher— I would have been busting it going for Arenado. Okay. And, and, I would have, and I would trade Bohm for it. I would put together a real package to get Arenado because Arenado is not just a great hitter. He is an amazing fielder. So that's the kind of move that I would make. I, I don't know what else they can do currently because their prospect pool is that you only have a few that you can trade. So unless unless you're willing to trade major league talent that you have now, and do you want to, I cringe at this, do you want to trade, trade Boehm, which I would, but does that change the chemistry? Which I never thought year, when years ago when we first met him. <laughs> I, I you- never thought that I'd sit there and go, Wow, you don't want to trade Boom because you don't want to trade the good chemistry on the team. Look, the the daycare part of this definitely keeps things light for some other players. I mean, they and they make it likable. And it, the, the the team is a likable group of guys. They just from have Harper to down. win, and they'll be more likable. All right, Jeff. yeah, but 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 I, but I will tell you, I mean, going down there. It, I'm surprised at how many people are there. The attendance has been huge. Yeah, Their attendance is, is up, it, it I think, 25 great. or 30% this year down at mm-hmm. Citizens Bank Park. And look, I mean, they're a winning baseball team. Despite the frustrations game in and game out, you know, that leaving men on, whatever, they're still winning series right now. So, you know, we complain all they want. That's where it's going. A uh, couple minutes left, about five minutes left, Jeff, six minutes left till we finish. Want to talk a little mm-hmm. soccer with what's going on? Or, oh, do we? Oh, no, no, no. We need to go to the NCAA. 
Oh, I thought you were going to leave me alone. Nope. Um, uh, I need your I'm going to defend Jim Harbaugh moment of the show as he uh, is not accepting yet, but looking to potentially accept a four-game suspension to start the season. So I'm going to be a really bad defense attorney here, okay? (laughs) Because because I'm going to start with Jim Harbaugh is an idiot because the, the, the infractions that started this whole thing are ridiculous. Okay. Absolutely ridiculous. The pro and, and had he just admitted to nothing would have happened Yes, as a result of the apparent lying about them, he's gotten himself and his offensive coordinator well himself for apparently four games. It doesn't matter. Those four games, including Rutgers, by the way, it's not going to change the outcome, (laughs) but his offensive coordinator is apparently going to get suspended too. But we're talking about, from what I understand, the two really bad infractions where he watched during COVID a recruit on a Zoom meeting do, I guess, some exercise where he had a brother who I'm not sure if he had special needs or something who was also running. That's the first one. And the second one was apparently buying a cheeseburger. Now, there are lots of schools that apparently hand you a burger bag filled with cash. Apparently, Michigan's in trouble for handing an actual cheeseburger to somebody. Can we just agree so, that the NCAA rules are ridiculous? Yeah. And, and, and okay, but Jim and, Harbaugh is still screwed up. No, he's he's arrogant. Yeah. And, and, and his, his arrogance is going to cost him. But you know what? I know I'm a Michigan guy. I'm not going to defend him on this because I think it was stupid for him to do it. But this might actually help them because Harbaugh gets to sit there and point to the NCAA. It's a total cluster bleep. And the team is going to rally around this. There already are. Uh, you're already hearing the, play, the the comments from the players, and this is going to give them their rally cry for the season. I just so, think uh, that the Big Ten media day between Harbaugh's suspension the allegations against P.J. Fleck at Minnesota of a toxic culture, which he denies. Northwestern. The Northwestern players not even coming after what's going on there. Uh, and, <laughs> and yet the Big Ten's not the story right now. No. The, 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 the Big 12 the story is, is the, story. The, the, big, the, the Big 12 is excited about the fact that they got a team back that went 1-11 last year. That is, That's the big story, but it's going to, how does the Pac-12 or whatever number team, what are they? They're the Pac-9 nine? Nine now. Okay, how do they survive? I don't know, and the problem is... They have no TV deal. That's the problem. You can survive with nine teams if you have a media rights deal. But this yep, happens but that, in the that's middle... That's why Colorado left. That This is happening in the middle of their negotiations. And so... So, so, so what happens... Okay, so now you have nine what teams What happens? Left. You go recruit other teams, and you sign a media deal for less. Yeah, but do you, 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 don't think, you, don't, you don't think the trustees at each of those schools have, are in meetings right now? I was, you don't think... So you have... You, Arizona, the four corner schools, they're calling, may go... At least one, if not more, it may go to the Big 12 now. You have Oregon and Washington that will probably be a package deal somewhere because you got to have those two schools at least close to each other. The Arizona you schools. Ha- right. Uh, uh, no, I'm talking about just Oregon and Washington. Mm-hmm. So my guess is they go to the Big 10 at some point. That's always been a thing, and that's been something that Phil Knight's been pushing forever to have happen. And, and then you have Stanford, which is – the Big Not Ten a, is going to be the Big Twenty. 
Yeah, but then you have like these these schools that like the poor sisters, like like where are they gonna go? Like who wants Washington State and Oregon State? Who cares about Cal? Like there's there's like three or four schools that just may get left out of it. Now I thought Colorado would be one of those schools that get left out of it, but then they somehow merely having Deion Sanders has made them like the team to watch. Yeah. Until they actually get on the field. Is this good for college football? No, this is horrible. This is all awful. But I think that we've we've just kind of gotten used to it, so it no longer matters. Like it used to be chicken little, the sky is falling, and now it's just like, okay, so the sky falls. Who cares? Let's just see what happens. Meanwhile, Congress just cares about regulating NIL. Uh, the NCAA. Don't get me. I, I don't want to talk about Tommy Tuberville. I cheering, just cheering on what's happening. It's the ultimate uh, profile in lack of courage. You could make these changes yourself as the NCAA, and you will hide behind Congress having to do it. <laughs> it's well, like well, they're busy enforcing a, a hamburger rules. I mean, which they <laughs> should the enforce NCAA. because it's their stupid rule, and Harbaugh right. should follow it. But mm-hmm. you know, they instead you have athletes like Caleb Williams out there. And we got like thirty seconds left working with NIL collectives to try and get media rights money to come to players. Now, rather than having the adults in the room trying to set up a structure that works, you got people just trying to figure it out. It's the wild west out there. Mm, they might as well just unionize and get it over with. Are it. We, we moving get it over it. Last yeah. word. Is that where we're going? Yep. Profound. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.